This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Amen. Oh man, I am so pumped to be with you guys tonight. Can you bring up the house lights? Perfect, just a little bit. I'll be honest with you, I was a little intimidated by our material tonight. We are jumping into something that is hard. And I hope that that makes you a little bit more curious. But we're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to take Scripture for what it says, not what we want it to understand, what we want it to mean, or how we feel it could best be understood. But we're going to look at what Jesus says, and we're going to take Him at His word. And if Scripture says it, Scripture which is God's revelation of Himself, Scripture which is divinely inspired, if Scripture says it, those who are called by His name, we stand on it. So some of the passages tonight are going to sound really familiar, but we're going to look at them in what I think and what I would argue and what I believe wholeheartedly is the scope that we're supposed to read these scriptures in. If you remember way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, there was the story of Gideon. And there were the Midianites, the bad guys. And there were so many of them that it said there was like locusts covered the mountains. That's how many bad guys there were. And the bad guys had been swooping in on a, a regular basis and they would steal all of the food of the Israelites. And the Israelites were just constantly oppressed by these guys. It was a bug's life in real life. They were the grasshoppers. Except there was... Many, 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 many more of the Midianites than there were the Israelites. And so God called a frady cat named Gideon to lead the charge, to lead the battle against the bad guys. And Gideon goes throughout all the tribes and he calls as many people as he can to come and fight. And a huge number of people show up. 22,000 people show up to fight. And yet they still were outnumbered by the Midianites. And God looks over this huge mass of people and God says, there are too many. Whenever I give you victory, I want everyone to know that I gave you victory, not your numbers. So Gideon, this is what I want you to do. Make an announcement. Anybody who is afraid, they can just go home. This actually lines up with a law in Deuteronomy. And so Gideon makes this announcement, and 12,000 men walk. More than half leave. And God looks at Gideon's army and says, there are too many. I'm going to narrow them down because I want people to know that it was God. It was Yahweh that gave the victory, not your numbers, against the Midianites. And so he gives them this weird like task. He says, Gideon, have everybody go down to the river and get a drink of water. And so they all go down to the river, and God says, Gideon, I want you to watch how they drink. Some of them are going to get down on their hands and knees, and they're going to drink, you know, drink it with their face. And then some of them are going to cup up the water like this, and they're going to lick it out of their hand like a dog. Watch how they do it. Divide them. 
And all of those who cup the water up with their hands, those are my people. Those who get down on all fours and drink the water, send them home. And Gideon's like going down the line like, uh, I don't see. Oh, there's one. Okay. You're, you're on my side. Uh, and then he's like, God, did you get it reversed? Because I've only got a few that are actually, you know, in that category. And at the end of the day, Gideon ended up with 300 men against tens of thousands. It was the original 300 story. 700 years before Thermopylae and that whole story. The original 300. And God gave Gideon victory. But God first sorted the people. He divided those who he called to go to battle from those who he did not call. He distinguished. He drew a line and said, these are my people that are going to battle for me. And tonight, we're going to see that God's going to do this again through King Jesus, where he draws a line in the sand, and he's going to distinguish who he is calling and everyone else. In our series in Matthew, we have seen that the king, King Jesus, has been prophesied, the king has been born, he has been revealed, he's been anointed, he's delivered his law, he's shown authority over every realm, he's sent out ambassadors, He has authority over his law. That was last week. Great job, Elijah. And this week, the king is going to identify who are his citizens in his kingdom. And to the surprise of the disciples, Jesus is going to do it, not through lapping up water out of the river, but he's going to do it through parables. Matthew 13, 10 through 13. If you have your Bibles, break them out. If not, we've got the screen up there for you. Matthew 10, or Matthew 13, verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they don't see. And hearing, they don't hear. Nor do they understand. Now, in a day of the life of Jesus, this is what's gone on so far. That morning, at whatever house that Jesus was staying at, they brought to him a demon-possessed guy who was both blind and deaf. And Jesus healed him. And when he healed him, it got the Pharisees all bent out of shape. And so the Pharisees came to the house, and they argued with Jesus. And Jesus is arguing with them. And then the crowds start gathering. They fill up the house. They fill up the outside. And they're like spectating what Jesus is doing and what he's teaching. And then Jesus' family, his mother, brothers, and sisters, they show up. They can't get in. And instead of even talking to them, Jesus just uses them as an object lesson. This was Jesus' morning. Now, in the cool of the day... Jesus breaks away from the crowd, and he goes to the seaside to just rest. And he sits down on the shoreline, and guess what happens? All those crowds move from that house, and they all follow him. And they surround him. His disciples and the crowds are all around Jesus. They want to hear him preach. They want to see him do miracles. They want to see the show, right? And many, many, many of them, and you need to understand this context, many, many, many of them are much more interested in seeing somebody get healed, or they're really, really curious, or they want to see if the Pharisees can finally defame him and put him under. And some of them just want something for themselves. 
And they surround Jesus. So, so Jesus, out of his love and graciousness, gives himself again to preach a second time today. But because he's so pressed by the crowds, he gets a boat and he pushes off the shoreline a little bit so that the people stop at the waterline. It's sort of like a, a barrier, right? And he's going to preach to the crowd across the shore. And it's so beautiful if you think about it. This is late in the day. The sun is, is setting. And at this point, the sun would be setting in the west, which means that their backs would be illuminated. But right now, with the boat as his pulpit, the orange glow of the sunset is on Jesus' face as he preaches. So put that in your mind as we move forward. And here, he's going to preach a sermon, but instead of the sermons he has been preaching, Jesus switches to doing nothing more than giving stories. One story after another story after another story. And they're called parables. They're cryptic stories. A lot of rabbis would teach in parables. Parabole actually means one next to another. The idea is that you give a cryptic story next to an explanation. So here is a mystery, and then it's explained. And Jesus changes how he teaches, so far in the book of Matthew, solely to parables. And the disciples are like, Jesus, what's going on? And you need to know this. This is so fascinating, and this is going to come into play later. Jesus' sermon is in two halves. The first half has four parables. He only explains one. The second half of this sermon, he leads, leaves the crowds and calls only, exclusively his disciples, and goes back in the house, and he gives them exclusive one-on-one teachings, and it's four more parables. Of the eight parables that he, that he teaches, the crowds only get one explanation. The rest is just mystery. He never stops to explain them. And that is so important for where we're going. Tonight, we're going to answer the question, why did he teach in parables? And then we're going to look at his first parable, the one he explains. Because if we don't understand why he teaches in parables, we will not understand the first parable. And the first parable is an introductory parable. And if you don't understand that, you won't understand any of the other seven in chapter 13. So we're going to ask why parables and answer that, and then we're going to look at his first parable. Matthew thirteen ten through 11, it says, His disciples come to him. Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answers this. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. This is startling. This should make us a little uncomfortable. Something big is happening. Transcendent, spiritual kingdom of heaven is touching down on earth in the physical, temporal realm. You have a collision between the kingdom of heaven and the spiritual realm here. And God, through Jesus, or Jesus as God, is explaining how the kingdom of heaven works, who belongs to the kingdom, what their function of the kingdom is, how the kingdom progresses, and yet he's doing it in a very cryptic way. He's saying there are people who will understand, and they're very different from the people that will not understand. And you are the ones who are going to get it. Think about it this way. There's an ancient analogy about God. That if we compared God to the sun, and his heat was beating down 
on clay and on wax. The clay under his heat would get harder and the wax under that heat would get softer. And when we look at the parables, the parables are like this. He is speaking the parables and there are hearts in the crowd that are going to get harder like clay and there are going to be hearts in the crowd that will get softer towards his kingdom. And just like Gideon's men, he is using parables to delineate, to distinguish who are those who are in the kingdom and who are those who are not. God will leave in ignorance listening to these cryptic stories. Matthew 13, 12. Listen to what, what Jesus says. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is an exact quote from his parable of the talents. Remember the four talents? This are three. This guy gets five. This guy gets two. This guy gets one. It's just an amount of money. A talent is a chunk of money. And then the guy who takes his one talent and he buries it. He doesn't do anything. His heart is hard towards the master. The master says to him, even what you have will be taken away and it's going to be given to the one with the five who worked hard. The difference is the reception. The difference is the hearts. The parables are consistent against a whole crowd, but the difference will be whose hearts will be clay and whose hearts will be wax. Jesus' parables will sort. So why parables? Because the parables are distinguishing who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Number two, why parables? Parables are a form of God's judgment to unbelievers. Let's go to the next verse, Matthew 13, 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. I guarantee you that the people in front of them physically had eyes, and they physically had ears, but his kingdom is not physical. Their seeing and their hearing is seeing of the spiritual things. Unto belief, or being blind, is being blind to those spiritual things, unto disbelief. And that judgment. Jesus even quotes Isaiah, which we'll read in a minute. And it's a bit uncomfortable. Matthew 13, 13 through 15. This is why I speak in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor they do they understand. Indeed, their case, he's talking to the crowds. He's talking to the crowds. The, the disciples are here with him in the boat and they say, Jesus, why parables? And Jesus points to the crowds and he says this. In their case... The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. This people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Lest, I double-checked this to make sure I wasn't crazy. Lest, defined, is with the intention of preventing. Close the door, lest mosquitoes come in. So he's saying, my parables are cryptic as a form of judgment, or else they would turn. But because their hearts are hard, because they don't believe, 
The parables are formed as a barrier to block them from coming any further. It's a form of judgment. I told you, this is uncomfortable. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-19. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Despite all their wisdom, those who God has blinded hear the gospel as foolishness. But to those who believe, it is life and hope. So he's speaking in parables. It is a sign of judgment. These crowds had plenty of evidence of who Jesus was. Jesus has fulfilled prophecies. At his baptism, a voice from Father God said, This is my son. John the Baptist was sent as a forerunner to declare who Jesus was. Jesus is doing miracles that only God could do, taking control of nature and the spiritual realm and the human heart itself. They have every responsibility to recognize Jesus. And if they do not believe, the parables delineate them, sort them out. Truth incarnate is standing in front of them, and they're blind. And the crowd's full rejection will be seen on the night of his crucifixion when they will shout, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus' parables are a form of God's judgment to unbelievers. So the parables distinguish who is a citizen in this kingdom. They are a form of judgment. And then this verse also says that they are a form of blessing. Later, he's going to give the parables of the hidden treasure. A guy finds this treasure and immediately buries it back again. And he goes and he sells everything he has so that he can buy that field and own that treasure. What Jesus is communicating, this understanding, this truth, this wisdom that is only from God, is greater than anything we could own. It is blessing. Matthew 13, 16-17, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. He's talking to the disciples. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Blessed are those who see, more will be given, and they'll have an abundance. I love what the commentator Matthew Henry says. This guy is like smart, out the wazoo. And he says this, A parable is a shell that keeps good fruit for the diligent, but it keeps it from the slothful. That is a parable. They get to see Jesus. Think about all those in the Old Testament that looked towards God's promise is being fulfilled. Tell me. Are you guys with me? Are you looking at your phones? Are you talking to each other? Think about it. How would David have worshipped had he been able to stand at the feet of Jesus? How much did David long to know the one that God used his mouth to prophesy about. And what about Daniel or Abraham, Isaiah, Jacob? How much do you think that Eve longed to see this promised one 
who would set her free from her own mistakes, her own sin. For the history of the world, they longed to know this Christ that God had promised. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you. Whenever I'm in the boat and I give you my hand to climb in, you are grabbing onto the calloused hand of the living God, the hand that would be pierced for you. When I speak your name and you hear the music of your own name from my mouth, that is the voice that called creation into existence. When I lock eyes with you and you read my lips, you are locking eyes with truth and justice and love himself. Blessed are you who see, for all the prophets wish and look towards this day that you get to stand in. The creator and the king has arrived and he uses parables to recognize who his citizens are. And he's allowing his citizens to see behind the kingdom, behind the curtain, to how his kingdom works. Because those who believe parables give them greater understanding. They illuminate them brighter. Just as those who don't believe, the parables actually block them and leave them in darkness. Who are these guys? These people that are hearing Jesus, that are encountering God himself? They're nobodies. They're fishermen, a tax collector, a governmental rebel. They're nobodies. And yet Jesus chose them. He called Matthew from his tax booth. He called these guys from away from their stinky fishnets. Jesus called them. And it goes right back to Matthew's theme that we've talked about over and over again. That King Jesus' kingdom is for anybody, especially the unlikely. His people are often revealed in those who seek him. Do you want to know who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven? Twice, it was the apostles that went to Jesus and Jesus explained the parable to us. The crowds never asked. So I've got to ask you, where is your heart? Do you see Jesus as a means to know God more? Or do you see Jesus as this one guy who lived a long time ago? Maybe he was a really good teacher. Maybe he had really good things to say. But there's no deeper call from your heart to know him. Because the difference here are the crowds that sat on the shore waiting for the magic show versus the apostles in the boat with him asking him to explain. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The closer that we draw to Christ, the more acquainted we are with his mysteries. So Jesus taught in parables, one, to differentiate, to delineate God's people, to distinguish them. Number two, they're a form of judgment to unbelievers. And number three, they are a blessing to believers. And before I go on, I have to hammer home this key point because none of the parables are going to make sense when you go and read Matthew 13 if you haven't picked this up from now. The truths of God's kingdom 
must be revealed by God. Revelation, not the book, revelation, God's revealing of himself to us, must be top down. We cannot, in our own way, say, we are going to reach God. Remember the Tower of Babel? Remember their greatest attempts at reaching God? I love the way the author writes it. It says that God had to come down to see the tower. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. This is a joke. This is God saying, this is the best you got. I, hold on. I need to get my reading glasses. Oh, <laughs> that puny thing? We cannot reach him. His truth must be God crossing the boundary of the transcendent and the spiritual into the physical to say, here I am. I will be Emmanuel, God with you. And Jesus, being king, inaugurates that kingdom by being that point of contact. His revelation must be from him and from him only. So now, oh, as an example, remember when Peter confesses Christ? Jesus says, who do they say I am? And Peter's like, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. What's Jesus say? Blessed are you, Peter. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. Theology does not begin with our search of God as if we have any tools to pursue. Theology begins with God revealing himself to us. So now, with that in mind, now we can look at the parables. Matthew 13, 3-9. You know this one. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seed fell along the path. Whoosh. A path, like a walking path through the field or around the field. This is like what's been walked on and trampled down by people and animals. Like when the seed hits the path, it bounces. It's like hitting clay. Some seed fell on the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately sprang up. But since they had no depth in the soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. The idea here is that That soil looked like every other soil. But an inch or so beneath it, there were rocks. And the same is true for the next one. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked them out. The same is true. It looks like normal soil, but in that soil is impregnated seeds of thorns. You see, we could look out at a crowd like Jesus looked at, And you know what? You wouldn't be able to tell if this person's heart was rocky under the surface or this person's heart had seeds of thorns under the surface or if this person was fertile soil. We wouldn't be able to tell. They all look the same. And Jesus is using parables to either harden a heart or to soften a heart. Let's keep going. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Why? Because hearing is a sign of belief, of being a heart of wax that softens towards God, of citizenship. 
in his kingdom. Most of you have heard this unpacked before, but I want you to think about it. When Jesus says that the seed is the word of God, you need to hear this is God's self-revelation and it doesn't come from anyone else. It must come from God. And it is God who is scattering seed. Let me ask a question. Who tilled the fertile soil? Who prepared the soil for the seed to grow in? Do you understand why that's a strong question? Because we're saying that our sower is scattering seed over all of these different kinds of soil. All of them have responsibility to respond and grow, and yet he knows who he has planting for fruit. The parables are a separating line. This first parable is clear whenever we understand why he is giving these parables. The rocks represent tribulation or persecution. So they have roots, a little bit of roots, and they grow up and they're like, yeah, I'm all in. But as soon as things get hard, they get scorched. They're the hard-hearted ones. They're the clay that as soon as the sun comes out, they just get hard towards the gospel because they have no real roots. Then you have those with the weeds that grow up. And because they're sharing soil with the weeds, they're competing for nutrients. And they grow up and they're twisted together. And those seeds of the weeds in our hearts and in our lives are those things that distract us. Remember, the enemy doesn't have to defeat you. He only has to distract you. And so the, the hearts that are full of the seed weeds, the thorn weeds, seeds, those are the ones whose hearts are are attracted to things of the world. Oh man, if I could have more money, then it's worth giving up this. Oh man, if I could only date this person, and that word of God is choked out. And finally, there's the fertile soil. And here's what's different from the fertile soil from every other one. They hear, blessed are those who have ears to hear. If you have ears, listen. They understand. Ears, head, they understand. And they bear fruit. Those that grew with the weeds never made it to maturity to bear fruit. Those that were among the rocks never got to maturity to bear fruit. And those on the hard ground of the footpath, oh man, think about this. Those seed had no chance. Not only was that heart so hard that they resisted seed, but there was, so there was an internal battle, an internal resistance against God's word. But there's also the enemy, the devil that comes and snatches it up. So that there's an external enemy. Full resistance. There's an old Puritan teaching about faith. And this is what it has to say about faith. That there's three steps in faith. Number one is knowledge. That you know of Christ. You know of his kingdom. Number two is that you believe it's true. I do believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. But that is not saving faith yet. Saving faith is accepting this to be true for you. That you can lean on this truth, that you stand on this truth. Whenever the sun comes out and beats on you, whenever there's distractions in the world, you stand on the truth. When you're in suffering, when everything seems hopeless, when it's dark, you can stand on the truth 
I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus died for me. He is my king. Not I believe in a historical person of Jesus, but I believe in the real and living God who has called me his own. How do you know if you're a citizen of the kingdom? Do you care? Do you desire to know Jesus more? That's that soft heart. That under the word of God, under this kind of teaching, under reading scripture, your hearts are softened towards him. There's four soils. And it's showing that the word of God, that seed is from God for his people. And then Jesus expands in other parables. He talks about how the kingdom grows, that it's like yeast, that it's like a mustard seed. It grows under the surface. It's really unsuspecting. You never expect much. And then something huge comes of it. Then he talks about what is the, who are the people that are the citizens? They're the ones that when they find something of value, of highest value, they recognize the value knowledge. Then they go and they walk away from everything that they used to treasure so that they can obtain the greatest value. Those are the people that recognize Jesus as king and they see the kingdom of God as worth walking away from your whole life for. And then finally, he gives the parable of the the net that sweeps in a whole bunch of different kinds of fish. And this is the outcome of the kingdom, that at the end of this whole thing, that there will be a dividing line, and the Lord will take those who are his, and those who are not his will go to judgment and destruction. Now, Jesus has, by this time, pulled himself away from the crowds, and he's sitting in the room alone with his apostles. These are the ones who are hungry. These are the ones that I hope you and I would be. And he does something really interesting. He gives them one more parable, but he asks them a question first. Matthew 13, 51 through 52, he says this. After seven parables, he asks them this question. Have you understood all of these things? Has something clicked? Has a light bulb gone on? Where's your heart? Have you understood all these things? And they say to him, yes. Now I was like, whoa, that's brazen. How do you look at God and go, I got it. (laughs) And yet, watch what Jesus does. He affirms that truth. Their yes was in faith. And he said to them, therefore, therefore, since you have a yes... Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So what he's saying is, therefore, since you get it, since you're understanding, he's comparing them to a scribe. A scribe in those days had several jobs. Usually had a negative connotation. Scribes were usually after Jesus. But the job of a scribe was really special. A scribe would study God's word Study, 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 study God's word. And they would be often a lawyer of it. They would give people the teaching of God's word that applied to their lives. And it was scribes who copied God's word over and over and over and over again so that we can still have it today. And what he's saying is, if you get it, 
Take this home, Elevate. If you get it, if you have a hunger for, for Jesus, if you have a hunger for his word, your role is to be a scribe, to be a student of who Jesus is, of who God is. And then you teach it. You show other people the truth that you found. It doesn't have to be from a pulpit or with a microphone. Honestly, this is probably a lot less effective than you sitting around with a friend. Talking with a friend. He asks them point blank, do you get it? Yes. Psalm 111, 2 through 3. Great are your works, O Lord, studied by those who delight in them. And this householder, the one who brings out treasure of the new and the old, this is what he's saying. Look at how the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, look how everything points at Jesus. Look how we know who God is because of what is revealed in the Old Testament. Now, take a look at the final, complete, beautiful view of who God is through the person, the life, the passion, and the teaching of Jesus Christ. I like how Augustine said it. Augustine said, I want to get it right, he said, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. We can search the Old Testament and we see Jesus again and again and again. Our eyes are opened when we get it. And then when we look at who Jesus is, the Old Testament, everything from the death or the near death of Isaac, from the promise to Adam and Eve, to the promise of Jacob to his sons, to the promise to Abraham, to the promise to Micah, to the promise to David, to the promise to Daniel, again and again and again and again, we see Jesus. The new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. Think about driving a car. You keep your eyes on the road. You're looking forward. You're looking at the new. And yet, you would be fool to never check your mirrors, to never know where you came from, to never know if you are safe in your lane because you're supported on the foundation of where you've been. Does that make sense? Jesus' disciples are to be channels, not terminals of blessings. They are to take truth and be scribes. God's people will grow in understanding. And that understanding is to give glory to God, to be understood and followed, and to be taught. So if you want to go learn a little bit more, check out chapter 13. And I challenge you to look at all eight parables and apply those three reasons that Jesus teaches parables and consider what each of those parables means with why he teaches them. One, they distinguish between the citizens of heaven. They are a form of judgment, and they are a form of blessing for his people. Recap. Through parables, King Jesus distinguishes, hey, I just said this, they are a form of judgment to unbelievers, but they are a huge blessing to believers. God's revelation is from God, and he gives it as he sees fit. The fertile soil are those who hear, who believe, and who bear fruit. That old Puritan teaching. Bearing fruit is to become a student of God's word and a teacher of God's word. So we've got two challenges for you. Number one, go and study Matthew chapter 13 and apply what we talked about tonight. And number two, it doesn't matter who it is. It can be with a parent, a friend, someone else that is in here tonight. 
Look for opportunities to talk about something cool in God's word three times this week. Make it a challenge to yourself. By the time I get to next Wednesday, I will have had three gospel conversations. This doesn't mean you like grab someone at, at the gas station. This could just be you talk to your friend and you're like, you'll never guess what I read. I had a mind-blowing thing this morning, me personally. It clicked for me for the first time that one of the reasons that Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body, at communion, and John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no place with me, because Jesus is the Passover lamb, and the Passover lamb, where the blow is put on the door, was eaten. It was like, oh, cool, it's a continuation of the symbolism. It's beautiful. I couldn't wait to go tell somebody. So I have three gospel conversations this coming week. And I do want to leave you. You remember how we talked about the persecuted church? The shipping container? 20 people locked in a week or two ago? I want to give you another story from the persecuted church. Missionaries came to a little African village. A very Muslim African village. And they had services on a regular basis. Baptisms on a regular basis. And a little girl started attending. Sweet little girl. And one day she showed up with a black eye. And they asked her, "Why? Are you okay? What's going on? And she confessed to them that her father had found out that she was going to services with them and had beaten her. And she was back. And again she showed up beaten and bruised another time. And finally she came and she told them that her father had told her that the next time she attended that she would never experience that kind of beating again. And that night she was baptized. And the missionary's wife sewed her this beautiful white dress to be baptized in. And she went home wet and glowing. And she did receive a beating. Her bones were broken. She was bloodied. And she was put out of the house to die. Ostracized from the family forever. And she made her way back to that little church. She had been beaten to the point that she was going to die right there with those missionaries. And her white dress was covered in her own blood. And so the missionaries are like, like, oh my God, what do we do? And so they're trying to help her and they're trying to, to, to stop the bleeding and they're trying to listen and make sure, you know, find her, her pulse and take care of her. And they start pulling her little dress off. And she said, no. And she clung on to it. She said, no, please don't take my, little, my dress. Why, honey? Why on earth would you want to? It's covered in blood. She said, Jesus bled to show me he loved me. I want to show him that I love him too. And they buried her in her little white dress. This is a little girl that didn't understand citizenship in heaven. She didn't understand the parables. She didn't understand the sovereignty of God. All she knew is she belonged to Jesus. That she was purchased with his blood. And it was enough. Elevate. I've begged God on behalf of you that your hearts would not be clay tonight. That your hearts would be soft 
that you would find a hunger to love Jesus like that. That you would stand in faith that you were his. And you know what? You do know a little bit more than her. You know that standing as his means that you were part of a kingdom of progression into the world. Set apart for him. Elevate. Soften your hearts to the Lord. Love him. Give your whole life for him because he's so worth it. There's nothing in life that compares to the value of his kingdom. And to know him. To be in the boat. To sit at his feet. And to ask for more. Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that you will do a work that only you can do. If understanding of you is only from heaven and understanding of you can only be from the opening of hearts, then I beg you, Lord, to open every heart in here. Block out all the distractions that have been going on this whole time. And let every man and woman in here find a moment where they turn their ears to hear and they use their eyes to see. Lord, I pray that you will instill in us a love for you. Your word points to you. The testimonies of your people point to you. Lord, may we be scribes that love you so much we can't wait to share what we've learned with somebody else. We love you, Heavenly Father, and we give tonight to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.